0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Fans, July is here, and there are tons of exciting sports action bets you can make. Go to Bet Online. It's where you can find everything, including prop bets and futures. BetOnline has all the latest odds, news, and information for all of your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, go ahead and head on over to BetOnline and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Folks, glad you're with us once again, and our guest on this episode is blowing up the internet right now with his hilarious takes on the way the game's being taught to young people, and Mark, Jeff Fry fought his way to the big leagues, and his personal story is really fascinating, but this social media thing he's doing right now, it's really getting a ton of attention.
1: Ton of attention, Mike, because this is the way he went about his business. A 30th round pick, and he made it to the big leagues, Mike, but also... He appreciates what the game did for him. Can't wait to hear these stories.
0: Jeff Fry, our guest. And Jeff, you know, before we talk about how you're blowing up on the Internet, let's talk about how you got that status as a credible source as a hitter. And that's your eight seasons in the big leagues. Texas, Boston, Colorado, Toronto. When you look back at what you did on the field, is there a signature moment, some memory that jumps off the page at you?
2: Yeah, I would have to say um, in Boston, I think it was 1997. I can't say for sure it was 96 or 97, but we were in the ninth inning, losing to the Minnesota Twins by one run, and Darren Lewis came up off Mike Trombley and hit a home run, and Darren was not a home run hitter like myself, and he hits a home run in the bottom of the ninth to tie the game, and then I come up right after him and hit a walk-off home run in Fenway to go four for five in the game. And I'm sure Mike Trombley was shocked that he gave up home runs to Darren Lewis (laughs) and myself. But, uh, I think that overshadows in my mind, the time I hit for the cycle for the blue Jays at my last year in the big leagues. Yeah.
1: That's, that's special when you have those moments and especially with teammates that you think the world of with, with, uh, D Lou, um, Let's let's touch on the on the cycle as well because that was your last year in Toronto, I believe. And there's so many elements to this and so many layers to your cycle because you got the spot start, is what I hear. Take us through that particular day because not only are you getting the spot start, but you're getting the spot start against uh, one of your best friends in Darren Oliver.
2: Yeah, it was crazy, and it was a it was a tough year for me in 2001. I I hurt my knee like the first week of spring training, had to have knee surgery, got uh, a staph infection. And basically, I was in uh, the Florida State League when the season started, um, waiting to, you know, maybe for a couple rehab games. Four games into my rehab, Homer Bush breaks his thumb. So they immediately need somebody in the big leagues. And I wasn't even close to being ready, but I was the best option at the time. So they called me up. I played the whole year with a messed up knee. Um, and just kind of played sporadically. They traded Tony Batista. Garth, uh, uh, Gord Ash came up to me and said, don't make me look bad. You're the third baseman. I'm like, well, you made yourself look bad if you think I'm a third baseman. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, uh, so that particular day, I knew we were playing the Rangers. I knew Darren Oliver Oliver was pitching, but I had no clue if I'd be in the lineup. And so I show up to the field and I see the lineup. I'm hitting nine hole against my old team and my buddy. And, uh, my first AB, I kind of get jammed a little bit, hit a blooper down the right field line and on the acid turf, it, you know, it bounces really high. So it bounced over Ricky Lede's head and I get a bloop triple next AB, I hit one in the gap. Uh, it's kind of out front. I couldn't put weight on my back leg. So I was out front all the time and got it over Lede's head. He took a bad route to the ball. Now I've got a double and a triple off my buddy. <laughs> and, uh, then they bring in Pat Mahomes. Uh, Pat Mahomes hangs a curveball. I hit a paint scraper down the line, barely fair, barely over the fence. And now I'm a single away from the cycle, you know, not even knowing if I was going to play that day. And so I'm in the dugout before I go up for my last at bat. We were killing the Rangers. We were up by, I think, eight runs in the eighth inning. And so I went up to Cito Gaston. And, you know, Cito won two World Series titles for the Blue Jays, four pennants, and I had a lot of respect for Cito. I said, Cito what do I do right here? If I hit one in the corner or in the gap, you know, that's a double. He goes, stop it first and tell him I told you to. And I was like, are you sure? He goes, yes. So sure enough, I've hit more singles than any other hit in my life. I can't hit a <laughs> 20 hopper to right field. I hit a line drive in the gap and I still didn't know what to do. I take a huge turn around first base yelling at the first base coach Garth Orge. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? <laughs> and, and he goes, stay here. So I take a huge turn back to first Kelly Gruber was in town at an autograph show. They called him over during the game because of what was going on. And he comes walking on the field and slaps me upside the head. And cause he was the only guy to ever hit for the cycle. And I said, of all people, you could read my lips of all people to hit for the cycle. It's me. And so it was a really cool moment.
1: Yeah. You, th- you think about it too, Jeff. I, I, I mean, I think that element of Kelly Gruber coming out and the respect that he had and because that's not normal. You don't see guys coming on the field for those type of moments, but it is one of those moments that you share with one guy that's ever done it in that organization. Uh, What was that like? What was that feeling like after the fact that you you exceeded the the, the cycle?
2: Well, it really, um, it was a rough year altogether. And that really kind of gave me some, some happiness, you know, that this is, you know, something good came out of this year. And to have so many, I had so many guys on the Rangers that I had played with that were still my friends. And um, the third base coach was Bobby Jones. Bobby Jones is my manager in the Florida state league, the Texas league and triple A in Oklahoma city. Uh, Rudy Hadamil was the hitting coach. He was my, the roving hitting coach for the Rangers when I was in the minor leagues um, so that was cool.
1: What What was Cito Gaston, uh, what was the reaction after uh, to, to go up to him? You must have had, a, uh, obviously, the, a well-known hitting coach in the game of baseball. What was that like after the fact?
2: Oh, that was cool. I mean, everybody was so happy. They, they knew that I was injured most of the year. It was kind of the, the team clown. Sounds like you were two me. I was always goofing and keeping guys, you know, not taking this game too seriously. And so um and that was really cool you know I caught a lot of flack for stopping at first I don't know if you know that but from the Rangers from Jerry Nair and the manager kind of in the paper said that he teaches his players to play the game the right way and I was like I always thought I played the game the right way so that was kind of tough
0: did you ever talk to him about it after the fact
2: I did the next day the next day I walked over to the Rangers side of the field and he was talking to the uh, Eric Nadel the radio guy and i think dan shimmick the traveling secretary and i walked over to their side of the field shook his hand and apologized to him for stopping at first base and i was disappointed in his reaction because he said just play the game just play the game and i'm like i didn't owe you an apology i didn't have to say anything to you so that kind of that kind of disappointed me a little bit
1: jeff i mean some organizations uh Give you you know something uh, uh, to to remember that time from. Did did they did Toronto do anything for you in that particular time? They did, but it was not enough.
2: <laughs> I was so Pissed off at, at Gordash because when Robin Yount hit for the cycle with the Brewers, they gave him a Harley. Yeah. Right? And they gave me this frigging watch, and I was so pissed off. And after the game, my teammates put a bicycle in my locker. <laughs> but I have, I don't even know where that watch is today. I was like, where's my freaking Harley? You know, got a watch.
1: That's so funny because uh, I, one of my teammates, John Mabry, hit for the natural cycle in Colorado. He he was a big outdoorsman. And, and St. Louis gave him this rifle, uh, this the hunting rifle, uh, engraved in that. So uh, it's it's one of those unique things. Uh, well, I mean, I guess you had an extra watch to go along with it.
2: Yeah, it's somewhere in the house. I don't even know where it is.
1: <laughs> You're like the Rodney
0: Dangerfield of baseball. You get no respect, right? <laughs> it's a travesty. Hey, you know what? When we get the uh, players on this podcast, it's often the case where they're high round picks and they're top dollar guys, and they have these meteoric ascents and fabulous careers. And it's important, I think, to impart to our listeners that it, that's not the normal. That's not the usual. Those are the guys on the periphery, the elite of the elite. Uh, more guys out there aspire to play in the big leagues than ever see a day even in pro ball. Your story's fantastic. You're a 30th round draft pick in 1988 out of Southeastern Oklahoma State University. Walk us through that process. I mean, you were a guy, it sounds like, just looking for an opportunity.
2: Yeah, it's exactly it. And actually, you know, I went to junior college for two years and I actually went to junior college on a basketball scholarship. Wow. And I was going to walk on on baseball. And that summer I got 15 hits in a row over two days. And the coach asked me if I would play baseball and basketball. And so my sophomore year in Juco, he calls me in his office and says, Hey, I want to talk to you. I think, I think you're a year away. And I said, from what? And he said, from getting drafted. And I said, by the army. He <laughs> <laughs> doesn't know you knucklehead by a professional baseball team. I was like, you're crazy. And so. I go uh JUCO tournament, I go seven for eleven, thinking all these D1s are gonna come knock, and nobody did. They said I was knock-kneed, duck-footed. So I with my tail tucked between my legs, I went to Southeastern NAI school, and the coach jumped my case after the first week and said, Fry, I know you don't want to be here, but you're here, make the most of it. So I did, and and I, you know, I hit 388 my junior year, 452 my senior year and thought I was done. And my teammate is invited to a Texas Rangers tryout camp. And he was pretty sure he was gonna get drafted by the Cincinnati Reds. So he didn't want to bother going to this tryout camp. So I went in his place, had the day of my life, Um, hit three home runs off three different pitchers. They invite me to another tryout camp in Arlington. A week before that tryout camp, I went water skiing and the rope snapped out of my hand and busted my fingers open and went to the emergency room. And the doctor said, uh, I said, Doc, I got a trout in a week. He goes, Well, you're not gonna be able to go to that. And I said, Okay, he walked out. I went, I feel bad about this part. I went through his drawer, got a couple of gauze pads, a couple of rubber gloves, stuck in my pocket, walked out. <laughs> Showed up in Arlington a week later, um, with gauze pads around my fingers, a rubber glove, and then my batting glove over that. Okay, it was so tight. I ran the 60 with batting gloves on. <laughs> I took ground balls, um, and every ground ball I caught killed my hand. It hurt. I had stitches through the fingernail and the tip of my finger. Uh. Then I went in to hit. First swing, the bat flew out of my hands, hits the top of the cage. I walk over, pick it up like it's no big deal. Couple swings. They could tell something was wrong. They call me out of the cage, ask what's wrong. I take out my batting glove. I got a rubber glove on, <laughs> wrapped up, and they're like, What happened? I tell them, they say, Well, obviously you want to play pretty bad. Go home, get your hand ready. We're going to draft you. And they drafted me.
1: That is awesome. 30th round pick, 1988. Uh, if you mind, uh, what, what's a signing bonus like in, in the 30th round?
2: Great question. Because I signed my contract. Jimmy Dry I signed my contract in Coach Matheny's office. And he goes, did they tell you about your bonus? And I was like, no. He goes, well, you get two grand for signing. And I was like, sweet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember what you spent it on?
2: Yeah, my first wife needed new tires on her car. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. That is
1: beautiful. Hey, when you're in the 30th round, that journey, uh, it, it, take, it takes a while. And you go through that aspect and you're wondering and you question, am I good enough for the next level? Not necessarily the big leagues, the next level. It almost seems so far away. What do you remember about that first part of your journey when you had an opportunity with the Rangers?
2: Well, there was two second basemen on our team in Butte, Montana, a seventh-round pick and a 30th-round pick. And he was a heck of a hitter, Joey Wardlow. He could really hit, but I was better defensively. And um, beginning of the year, he was you know, raking, hitting three forty. I started the first my short season, I had an 0 for 37, which is not real good in the short not season. Not good. <laughs> it's kind of hard to recover. Yeah. But I was thinking, man, I'm going to go home pretty quick. And uh, ended up, end of the year, I was a starting second baseman in the playoffs. Hit 286 in the Pioneer League, which is not that good, you know. And then the next year, my first spring training. And, um, you know, that's kind of how it started. And it's basically, Mark, is I knew I couldn't fail. I couldn't have one bad year. Yeah. Or I'd be done. Because I, I, I talked to Sandy Johnson the other day. I don't know if you know Sandy Johnson. I do. And I remember – Sandy Johnson saying, asking after my year in Gastonia, I won the batting title the next year. And he goes, who's this fry kid? And they said, Oh, he just won the batting title in Gastonia in the Sally league. He goes, well, he better win another one or he's getting released. (laughs) (laughs) The way it was, you know, you could, you didn't have time to hit 160 for a year and reset.
1: Yeah. Sandy Johnson, one of those guys that uh, you just absolutely idolize. And there's a lot of people through your path uh, that are, are instructors that, Make a huge difference in your journey. You mentioned the seventh round pick, which was with you playing second base. For our listeners, they don't understand that when you're a high draft pick, you get a lot of opportunities. 30th round pick, you have to make your opportunities. And I don't think that's a bad case. I just think it's a different mindset that you have. For our listeners also, instructors come in town And they're working and doing early work with their high draft picks. They're not working with the 30th round pick. And if they are, it's because you want to be out there with them. Um, Do you remember a time in your minor league uh, journey that you said, you know what, now I'm starting to gain this this respect. And I feel like I I am on the radar to getting to what my ultimate dream is.
2: Well, I was pretty confident after my year in Gastonia and A-ball that you know, I mean, I was hitting 340 at the all-star break. I thought I was starting to put myself on the map. You know, after my first year in, in Butte, I didn't get invited to instructionally, you know, which is pretty telling. Yeah. And then after I won the batting title in Gastonia, that offseason, I was invited to instructionally. So I was kind of like, well, maybe now I'm starting to do something here.
0: You know, you went to every level. Did you think you were going to skip at least high A after you win the title in uh, Gastonia?
2: No, I didn't even really know, man. I was just happy to have a uniform. You know, I had a couple buddies on my team in Gastonia that were all-stars, and uh, they were getting sent to the Florida State League after Gastonia, and they both walked out of spring training in, uh, in defiance because they were going to high A ball, and both of them almost got released. So I learned my lesson pretty quick. <laughs> you know, I don't have as much leverage as I think I do.
0: <laughs> well, your perseverance paid off. You get the call up to the big leagues. Tell us what that was like. Who told you? How'd you find out the backstory there?
2: Yeah, it was a really cool day. We were in Louisville, and my roommate was Bobby Brower. And, uh, you know, generally those days, we probably got 17 or 18 bucks a day meal money. So we would sleep as long as we could because we couldn't afford to eat breakfast and lunch and then go to the field and pay clubhouse dues. So we would sleep in. Normally take our phone off the hook, uh, not to be disturbed. And this morning, for whatever reason, the phone was on the hook. And the phone rang at 9 a.m. And it was Tommy Thompson, our manager, who was a quirky guy. He, we called him the general. He's always saying, oh, are you boys ready to go to war <laughs> and stuff? And so he calls up the room, the phone that's closest to my bed. And he goes, I said, hello. He goes, hey, big boy. He goes, you're not going to the AAA All-Star game. I was like, I'm not. He goes, Nope, you're going to another level. And I didn't say a word after that. And I just <laughs> listened to him. And I looked across the room at Bobby Brower and he looks at me and he goes, you're going to the big leagues and you're not coming back either. And it was just so cool. You know, that I like, now I got to go to Tommy's room. He tells me all the details they are calling up me and Brian Bohannon. Nice. And so we got to go to the field in Louisville. We got to call the clubby cause it's before he's supposed to be at work. It, open the field so we can get our stuff, go to the airport, fly to DFW, land at 5 o'clock, get our stuff, walk out, get in a van. Van driver says, Bobby Valentine just got fired today. His last act as manager was to call up you and Brian Bohannon. Toby Harris, interim manager, Get, get to the field at 5.30, walk in, start seeing everybody and walk in. They say, hey, go check out the lineup. I walk over to the lineup. I'm lead number 51. Jeff Fry is leading off, playing second base. I look at the bottom of the lineup, and Nolan Ryan is pitching for us that night. Oh, wow. God. No time wow. to get nervous right now. Right <laughs> wow. Now. God, I don't even get to settle in. Right.
1: What, what was that like when you walked in the locker room? Because uh, you you look around. Uh, was 51 hanging in a locker?
2: Yep, it was. What was that moment like? Man, it was it was surreal. It was just like, man, I finally... All my work, hard work paid off. And now I'm going to, you know, and I'm thinking I got to tell everybody, but I don't have a cell phone. I can't call my mom. I can't call my friends, anybody. It's just like, I got an hour and 35 minutes before this game starts and I'm freaking got to get ready.
0: So you're already in the big
2: leagues and your family still doesn't know. No, my agent didn't even know. No, it's like, you know, running to the airport, everything happens so fast. um, And it's like, all right, I got an hour and 35 minutes to get ready, unpack my stuff, and try not to be so nervous that I don't make a fool of myself.
1: So your first co- phone call to your f- your family and friends was after the game?
2: Yeah, yeah, I didn't get to call anybody till after. <laughs> oh. <laughs> would, you, would
0: you say, hey, you guys watch TV tonight? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Do you happen to watch the ball game? Yes, <laughs> it was
2: I'm, a big leaguer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, tell, walk us through that. How, what was that phone call like? That was cool. It was... uh I think everybody thought it might happen someday but it, until it actually happened I it think it's uh you know too far fetched and and uh, I mean it was really cool to be able to tell my mom that hey I'm going to the big leagues or I'm in the big leagues you know and I'm a Texas Ranger it's always cool to get called up with the team that drafted you too you know
0: Sure. What, were you particularly close with Bobby Valentine? Is that one of the reasons why uh, he wanted that as kind of like his last act in office?
2: No, I mean, I only knew Bobby Valentine from spring training that year, which was my first big league spring training. And I really didn't talk to him very much. I mean, I just get my mouth shut and try to do my job. And I really, the only time I remember really talking to him was the day he sent me down and said I didn't make the team. You know, first big league spring training, having only played in at the double-A level, I didn't really think I had a chance to make the team anyway, but I had a great spring and probably deserved to make the team, but that was really the only time. And I don't know, maybe that's why he got fired, because he's like, who's this guy? Hold <laughs> oh, up no, Jeff Rye, midget from Triple A. don't know.
1: This midget from AAA, I guarantee he loved everything about you, the way you went about your business. Um, take us through that first game, Jeff, if you don't mind. Uh, what was the mindset? You're leading off um bottom of the first what was that uh walk up like uh going into the batter's box
2: man it was out of body experience (laughs) you know i was so nervous i was shaking in the batter's box and uh i was lucky i walked on four pitches that weren't even close you know and i was like man now i'm on first base and the very first pitch double play ball to shortstop by ergo's playing second for the indians And I took him out and knocked him on the ground and do what? So we were supposed to do. Right. And I came back to dugout high fives everywhere, but I didn't realize what I just done. Okay. (laughs) Now Mark Witten's on first base, double play ball to Dickie Thon. He throws it to me. I go to turn and he slides about two feet from the base on me. I was like, Oh my gosh, how'd he get here?" And I one hopped it to first for a double play. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Two innings later, Albert Bell is on first base. We know what he does at second base. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? right? I think it was a ground ball to Dean Palmer, third base. Throws it to me. I get ready to throw and look, and Albert is still running. He <laughs> never slides. He runs straight through the base, and I adjust my throw to go over his head, and Rafael Palmero's playing first, and the ball nicks off his glove. He tried to stay on the base and I get a throwing error my first freaking game. <laughs> oh my God. But, but I had a great game. I went two for three. Uh, my first hit was a triple. I hit a, a sinking liner to the left that Albert Bell tried to make a sliding catch and bounce over his head. So I got a triple. Then I got a single. I think I went two for three, three runs scored, a walk and a sack fly. I think. What my
1: a great team. debut. Who was the hit against?
2: Uh, Scott Scudder. Oh, Scutter. awesome. Yeah.
1: Well, that. That moment is incredible. Also, I mean, we're all about first, too. How about your first home run? Do you remember that one?
2: Arthur Rhodes.
0: (laughs) Hard-throwing lefty, buddy. Turn
2: around. Throwing the cheese. Lead-off home run, um, and it was the great game of the week. There was like, you know they always used to have two games, right, on Saturday, depending on what part of the country you lived in. So our game wasn't the feature game, but I guess I hit my home run before the other game started, so they switched over. And I'd let off the game in Camden yards with a home run off Arthur road. So they showed it pretty cool.
0: That's unbelievable. Hey, you know, when you guys get into these clubhouses, I would imagine it's a whirlwind, uh, just trying to get, like you had said, the nerves out, try to get acclimated. Uh, as you had said, you had a managerial change right away, but you also have some players up there. I'm sure some of whom, you know, and some maybe you don't know well, but they've got some star power in that clubhouse. You get in there, Yvonne Rodriguez, Rafi Palmera, Juan Gonzalez, uh, Anybody have a particular impact on you? Uh,
2: Gino Petrolli. Gino Petrolli was the backup catcher, and he kind of took me under his wing. And I'd only known Gino from my first big league spring training. And uh, he was the guy, if I ever had any questions, uh, I would go talk to. And uh, he was really, I mean, I really appreciated the way he treated me and just kind of welcomed me to the big leagues. But all the guys were great. All the guys were great. Be honest,
1: Jeff. If I say sixteen one seven three, does that mean anything to you? Sixteen one seven three.
2: Oh, that used to be my number in the big leagues. It <laughs> changed, right?
1: Yeah. Why I say that? You—that's the number of a player in the history of baseball. You were. Everyone has designated a number, and why I say that? Um, May twenty-second here in San Diego. Uh, it eclipsed 20,000 for the first time. I think listeners don't realize that 20,000 people played a day in the big leagues, one inning. Um, And that's spectacular. I think that's one of the greatest stats in the game of baseball. Why I say your number, everyone is designated that. Um, Can you believe that the hard work and what you put in got you to this level? And, And you're excited about that. But what sustained that moving forward into your, into your career?
2: Well, I think it was just, uh, once you get there and you know, you realize how great it is and you wanna stay there as long as you can. And, and um, I always felt an obligation to my family and friends that I wanted to perform, not just for me because, but to make them proud of me, you know? It, I mean, nobody in my family had ever done anything significant. I was the first guy to graduate from college you know, And nobody it was like hardworking, blue-collar family, and this is somebody in our family that we can look up to that accomplished something great. And so I just wanted to work as hard as I could to stay there as long as I could.
1: When you start looking at uh, coaches, teachers, uh, you already talked about the influence you had as a player. Um, what was one of the coaches that stuck out in your mind that uh, took you to the next level?
2: Perry Hill. Perry Hill, he was our roving... Perry Hill and Rudy Hotemio. I was so lucky to come in and have Perry Hill as the roving infield instructor and Rudy Hotemio as the roving hitting instructor. I mean, two of the best to ever coach. And Perry Hill took me under his wing and, and taught me his formula for catching, for fielding ground balls, middle, funnel, replace your feet, follow your throw. I wrote bone ball on my glove, and Perry Hill was the man.
1: Yeah, known as Bone. Uh, to put in perspective, Perry Hill's been coaching in the big leagues since 1984. Uh, this is a guy that is spectacular. He played six seasons in the Mexican League. Um, I think he had 57 games, I might add, um, in the minor leagues, but not too much. But to your point, um, this is a coach that resonates throughout baseball. When you hear Perry Hill, you say, that's, that, that's the guy. Uh, Rudy Jaramillo is another one of those guys, as you mentioned. Um, was there anybody manager wise that you just absolutely loved and you respected?
2: Well, I was a, more than one. Um, Orlando Gomez uh, had a big impact on me, but I had Bobby Jones more than anyone. I had him three separate times an A ball, double A, a high a ball, double A, and triple A. And he just laid back disciplinarian we couldn't goof off but he just let us have fun you know he made it fun and we all respected him and love him.
0: Jeff when you talk about uh breaking in and getting yourself situated to where you feel like hey I'm an established big leaguer there's a point in that process where there are milestones along the way and one of the stories that we always enjoy hearing is about the feeling a player gets when not only he feels established but he feels part of the fraternity. And sometimes that comes with just seeing that rookie card. Cause they don't just hand them out to anybody who walks through that league. What did that mean to you to see your face on that card?
2: Yeah, that was really cool. That was really cool. Um, you know, I don't know how many baseball cards I have now. I have seen so many of them, but, uh, you know, as a kid collecting baseball cards with my heroes to actually see that I'm on a baseball card and my stats are on the back man that was pretty cool.
1: Do you, did you keep your first one that you that you saw?
2: No, I don't think so. I mean I have my first hit but I don't I really don't remember. I remember my rookie card. And I think I was bunting. I was like, "What the frick? I don't want to be having hard bunting. be trying to go deep or something." But. I
1: had, I had one of those too, man. I was bunting on it. I'm like, "Man, can someone just tear that up?" I mean, I <laughs> yeah, because I I had, I had Davey Lopes in the back of my ear saying, "Hey, dude, you're not pinch hitting. You're not pinch butting You're pinch hitting." <laughs> yeah. uh, so many different uh, things that you're going to hear. Hey, listen, you batted two ninety in the big leagues. Uh, that is to me, is is a such a huge accomplishment at the highest level. Uh, does a hitting coach stick in your mind of, of uh, someone that helped you other than Rudy Jaramillo?
2: No, I mean, I had a lot of good hitting coaches, uh, but they were all different. You know, Swain, you take bits and pieces from each guy. Right. And, you know, I had Tom Robson. Unfortunately, he passed away late this year. He was like my real first hitting coach in the big leagues. And then I had Willie Upshaw, Jim Rice, Tito mm-hmm. Gaston, Clint Hurdle. You know, everybody everybody adds a little bit of something to you. But I think what I learned from Rudy, and Rudy's thing wasn't ever about mechanics. It was about confidence. Yeah. You know, and, and he, he gave me so much confidence to know that this dude believed in me. And that's really, I think, what would help me become a good hitter
0: you know you wrap it up as a player and as a 34 year old as we talked about earlier your final season in toronto uh when you hit for the cycle was that a tough decision or was that your body yeah. saying just can't go anymore
2: well it wasn't my decision <laughs> it, ra- it rarely it <laughs> rarely is
0: right in sports I'd be
2: playing today if went for that but i mean i tried the next year in triple I spent t- uh, 2002 in AAA and thought i had done enough to get back and and my back was killing me. Um, I was having to get adjusted two or three times a game Ooh. by the, the trainer. And uh, it was, I was in pain. And I just kind of limped off into the sunset. And, you know, I really wish I could have got 10 years in the big leagues. But you know, I think I got more than they expected.
1: When you look back at it, Jeff, uh, who stuck out in your mind that was the best player you ever saw or you played with?
2: Somebody asked me that the other day, and I was like, "Man, there's too many."
1: It is. It's hard. It's a hard hard to, to pick out one.
2: I mean, I think I can name one with every team. You know, for me with at the Rangers, probably the best was Juan Gonzalez. I mean, he was unbelievable. He was an RBI machine. You know, and I played with Pudge there. Then I go to Boston. I got Nomar, Mo Vaughn. You know, there was just too many swing.
1: Yeah, there's there's so many talents that you're over the railing one night watching the game and and you're like, man. I, first off, I get to talk to this guy, but I get to watch him go to work every single night. Uh, your your first your first big league game was Nolan Ryan on the mound. Who was your best pitcher that uh, that stuck out? Anyone that, that uh, really gave you particular problems?
2: Mike Mussina. I could not get a hit off that dude. I think I was one <laughs> for twenty five against him. But really, I hit. I hit the best pitchers better than guys I didn't know about. I did, you know, I hit well against Randy Johnson and Roger Clemens and and Mariano Rivera, but Joe Blow, who just got called up from AAA. (laughs) I was over four with three punch outs. Who's that guy?
0: (laughs) Why do you think that is? Are you just locked in a little bit more? What what do you think is the reason?
2: Yeah. I think it's just the ultimate challenge. You know, it's like, you know, I know all my buddies are going to go to work tomorrow bragging about their friend, getting two hits off Randy Johnson, but, or Roger Clemens, you know, it was just like, man, this is, this is the ultimate challenge. I really want to do good against these guys. I
1: don't think, I don't think people realize too, when you're in those scenarios, uh, a one for four is incredible. Uh, So it's not like you're going out there and you're trying to go four for four. And if you do, it's a feather in your cap, but it's not like, Hey man, I own this guy. Because there's a base of at-bats that that's the, when you think about all the great hitters in the game, that's what you respect the most. It's a body of work. Uh, But your concentration level and your grit, what you taught yourself when you were a 30th round pick all the way through, it really provides that opportunity of, you know what? I can't wait for this opportunity. I don't think a lot of listeners understand that. Can you speak to that? I mean, that was what you had to do every single day in the big leagues.
2: Yeah, and and I always looked at it like this. It was like, if I outplay the second baseman on the other team, I'm giving our team an advantage. So if we're playing the Indians, and they got Roberto Alomar, we're playing the Twins, and they got Chuck Knobloch, my job is to go out there and outperform the guy who plays the same position as me, and that will give my team an advantage. And, And especially going out against the superstar pitchers of the time. Remember Otis Nixon? We're facing Kansas City, Kevin Apier, and this dude is filthy. And you know he's leading off. I'm hitting two hole. He goes, just get you one today. It's like that was the goal. <laughs> right, get one win yeah. off those guys because those dudes were unbelievable.
0: Yeah, you're just trying to stay afloat, right, and then make your living off the guys in the back end of the rotation as yeah. the series goes through. Hey, uh, after 2001, and you you do leave the game. You you stay in it, kind of is my understanding, because you become an agent. Why was it important to you not only to stay in the game, but then go that avenue of representing other players.
2: I, I had some ideas that I wanted to stay in the game. I had opportunities in scouting and coaching, but I was like, man, I don't want to be gone from home. I've been gone from home 15 years, but I can do the agent thing. I had a friend ask me if I was interested. Uh, I was like, what the heck just kind of dove into it. Um, and Darren Oliver, my old teammate was my first client. And so I've been doing it for 19 years and I kind of felt like my agent at the end of my career bailed on me and I didn't think it was right. And I always vowed that if I got the opportunity to do this, I would do it differently.
1: And when you get to the agency, uh, how did you build your clientele? Was it uh, word of mouth? Was it uh, conversations you had? Because obviously you're not trying to acquire a hundred guys. What was important to you in that philosophy?
2: hustling, man. You got to get out there. You got to get out there. You got to go watch these guys play. You got to talk to the scouts, um, try to build these relationships where they trust you. And I mean, we built a company pretty fast, you know, just by uh, going out and working and chasing down guys. And it's a tough industry, man. It was pretty cutthroat.
1: Yeah, it sure is. I, I mean, I love the fact that you're constantly thinking about, hey, what can I do to stay in the game? I mean, guys like us, that played the game, that that had an appreciation for everyone involved. It takes layers and layers for guys to be successful, but you need a good representation. Um, it, it takes us to uh, the internet fascination, which I think is is pretty cool. Um, I've had a good time with it, but I also have an understanding of the purpose for it because there's a lot of uh, launch angle talk. There's a lot of uh, uh, guys out there that are hitting gurus. Uh, tell us about your internet uh, sensation of what's happened and how it all evolved.
2: Well, I'm, I'm on a group text with a couple scout buddies of mine. Uh, Mike Hamilton uh, is one of them. And uh, we send each other these silly things we see on social media. And so one day I, I, uh, I saw one and I was in the backyard with my, my oldest son, Cannon. And I was like, Hey, I want you to video me real fast. I'm going to do this thing. Right. And I said, Oh, the light bulb went on or whatever, you know, So I put it on Twitter and uh, my Ken Guthrie, a scout, goes, dude, you got 4,000 views. I was like, seriously? (laughs) I had no idea. And then all of a sudden, that night, going before I went to bed, I looked at my phone, and I had all these direct messages. People calling me names. It was horrible. Calling my son names. Your son got cut. This, that. You know, you suck and all this. I was like, what is going on here? And I'm like, you guys don't know me very well. You just inspired me to make another video. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And the next video... Had over a 100,000 views pretty quickly. And at the end of the video, you remember, I mean, I don't know if you were a fan of the White Sox announcers, but I was a huge fan. Oh, yeah. They were so different. You know, he said, grab some bench or be gone, you know, some (laughs) silly stuff like that. I was like, it's so entertaining. So at the end of this video, I just said, she gone. I don't even know why I said it. And one of my friends on Twitter, not Gaetti, who I actually thought was Gary Gaetti. Yeah, I did too. So told me to hashtag she gone. I was like, what does that mean? I didn't even have a clue. I was like, all right, I'll do it. And then now it's just grown from there. And now I'm like getting requested to go speak all over the country. And it's really, it's been good. It, it's I spent a lot more time on social media than I ever wanted to. <laughs> but I think the message is getting out there. And I think what's really cool is how many people that played the game in the big leagues or still in the big leagues in some capacity, reach out to me and tell me to keep going, keep going.
0: Well, you know, what's interesting. You said the message is getting out there and, and for folks who stumble across it, they might even think, Hey, this guy might not be kidding. They, they don't know that you're doing some of this stuff. Tongue in cheek, right? It's she is the website. You can also follow Jeff Fry on Twitter. You'll see it all there, but we hear, time and again about travel ball coaches and some guy who played three hours in high school anoints himself as a big league hitting guru and, and the nonsense with the launch angle and the exit velocity and the fixation of all this and I'll make your kid uh the 14 year old the next big league star um inside the game though you and Sweens and and the scout friends you talk to uh they've got to appreciate a little bit of a lucid thought that you're bringing all this don't they
2: yeah they do and, and I'm constantly contacted by these people that i know they work for a lot of them work for teams and can't really speak out like i am um but i know they support what we're doing because they know it's nonsense you know they know that some guy who didn't play past high school doesn't know more about hitting than sweeney and i do Mm -hmm. he just doesn't we don't care how long you you're on uh, google uh researching hitting you don't know what we know about hitting but Unfortunately, there are some very naive parents out there that believe what these guys are teaching. And I think it's hurting kids' development. I really do.
1: Yeah, it, Jeff, you know what? The The interesting aspect to that, which I don't think our listeners fully understand, is that when you get so much experience and you're around, as you mentioned, so many great hitting coaches, so many great coaches out there, it not necessarily doesn't have to be uh, a guy that's been in the big leagues. There's a lot of really good ones. Perry Hill, as we mentioned. Uh, those aspects um, I think are are important for parents to understand and also kids that are experiencing and trying to go through their life challenges. It's okay to change things. It's all right to listen to others. There's no one set way to go out there and hit. What worked for Jeff Fry doesn't necessarily work for Mark Sweeney, but there are aspects of hitting that you realize, that you've heard, that you can adapt to. And so many of these gimmicks, to me, are the frustration part of what goes on with all the teaching that's going around.
2: Yeah, and you see how it's, a—I mean, you see what it's done in the big leagues, Swain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there's these, there's a lot of guys working for organizations that, uh, you know, that are bringing in the PVC pipes and the balls and all this crazy stuff that I know for a fact that if these guys would have come up to me in the locker room and tried to get me to do that, I just said, get out of here, get out of Mm -hmm. my face. I wouldn't have done it.
1: And when you look at it, Jeff, when you do these videos, you gotta have, I mean, afterwards you gotta have a a good laugh. I mean, there's some really good ones. The machete one's my favorite. What's, what's your favorite one out there that someone can go out there and uh, try to bring up on YouTube?
2: I think the one where I'm upside down on the inversion table, (laughs) that one, uh, I had messed up like four times. It was a windy day. Some of my stuff was blowing over. I'm like, blood's rushing to my head. I'm like trying, the bars are in my way. I'm just like trying to get this 45 second video, um, you know, done. And uh, when I finally finished, I was like, man, you know, there's one that I didn't post that uh, uh, I probably wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for my son rescuing me. I was <laughs> hanging upside down and couldn't get out and he had to lift me up. Lift me up. <laughs> he's cutting off the circulation in my ankles. And like He's going to leave. And I was like, will you do me a favor? Don't leave. To do this video and thank goodness he was home, otherwise, I don't know what would happen.
1: Hey, Jeff, the, the other funny thing too that I get I, I love little things, little aspects of it, but the props in the background are, are <laughs> I mean, it's a classic. It, what you have in the little canister in the background,
2: what goes through that? Do your kids get involved? No, no, they don't. I just started accumulating stuff, you know? <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm gonna put my mojo out here, and I have the mojo out there for the dove hunt, and I have the noodle and all kinds of stuff and uh yeah it's just i've just accumulated stuff people send me stuff all the time uh, wanting me to do their show their product and things like that it's just been a it's been a lot of fun
0: okay so yeah there's going to come a point jeff where i think you're going to have to decide is this fun or is this business because i would think parents will see this and go all right this guy's probably legit. They look at your resume. They go, "Yeah, he can hit. He knows what he's talking about. He played in the big leagues." You're getting a lot of offers to say, "You know what? All the garbage aside, will you just flat teach my kid to hit?" Are you interested in doing
2: that on the side? All the time, and I just don't. I'm just not really interested. I might. I'm. I'm more interested in maybe doing clinics um, for bigger groups of people and uh, bringing in some good, some good instructors, and also um, talk about character development and teaching these kids to be good kids and because we know this baseball whatever sport you play it's just a small percentage of your life and and I want to teach kids to, to uh you know to be prepared after your career after the, your uniform is taken away to do some other things in your life that you're going to be proud of
1: yeah it, it, it's so true it's the relationships that you have i mean all of us that are former players will talk about Hey, it's teammates. It's the greatest thing about this podcast, Jeff, is that that's what resonates with me. It's the relationships in the game. Uh, don't minimize that if you're a parent out there listening. Uh, just have your kid experience it, but also develop relationships that are bonds that they'll, for the rest of the year. Also remember, line drives work everywhere. Uh, I, I don't care. I don't care if the guy's caught. You go back to the dugout. You said, you know what? I just squared that up and I just did my job. Uh, most times they're going to they're gonna find their place. Jeff, what's next for you?
2: Oh man. I, uh, well, I'm playing in a poker tournament next weekend with nice. Yeah. yeah. I love that. So, and then I'm flying to Sandusky, Ohio. to speak at the opening ceremonies of a tournament. Then I get back and I have a hitting camp when I get back. And then, uh, I don't know, man, I just got more and more things popping up. I just got back from Cody, Wyoming for the, uh, uh, celebrities against cancer charity event where I was there with Otis Nixon Mike Hampton, Danny Nagel, Jeff Nelson, Sid Bream, uh, Jim Hack- Jim Hacksaw Duggan. It was cool. So just more and more things are popping up, and I'm just excited where it's going.
0: Man, it sounds like you've never been busier. Yeah,
2: you- it's pretty crazy.
0: Well, we can't thank you enough for carving out a little time uh, for us here today. SheGoneHitting.com. That's one way to find him. You can follow him on Twitter as well. Jeff Fry, eight seasons in the big leagues. And hit for the cycle with Toronto and a 30th round pick fans out there uh, of hard work. You got to be a fan of Jeff Fry. He did it the right way. He's done it a long time. He's an agent now and an internet sensation. (laughs) Good for you, man. Jeff, thanks again and really appreciate the time today.
2: Thanks a lot, Mike and Mark. I appreciate it, guys.
0: Well, folks, thanks for checking out Major League Beginnings presented by Bet Online. And if you had as much fun as we did, please go ahead, hit the subscribe button anywhere you usually download your podcast from. You pick the platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, whatever you like. We're just glad to have you aboard, and we'll see you next time.